0: Morning, everyone. Morning. Three things: Me, theme, speaker. Me, no news from the daughter. Okay, then that's done. She became grumpy yesterday, and grumpy she is staying till it comes. right. End of that one. Theme. Um, if, in a sense, this week has been one long toast to the authentic self, then I have found a piece of equipment to let you know about that's really appropriate. There is a company which manufactures something, something quite different. A customer can take a picture of themselves, otherwise known as a selfie, we know, send it to the company who will then load that picture onto the software of the toaster,
1: <laughs>
0: such that each slice of toast that comes out has got the image of the owner on the toast. <laughs> if you doubt me, I do have a photograph. And uh, Nancy, I'm sorry to say, the company is in Vermont.
2: <laughs> I had to say that.
0: Yeah, I did, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: One, two, three, the speaker. Celia Cartwright, we've been looking forward to this all week, haven't we? Uh, yeah. 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 Yes, we have. We have. Um, and Celia says that she's, at heart, a country girl such that she was really quite confused the other day, not at all sure where Maria was going to go with a talk focusing on AI.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. (laughs) At least some of you are awake. Um, Let's begin this morning uh, with a, a little devotional time with a prayer and a chalice lighting and a hymn and a story. I'm going to tell you a story this morning and I'm going to ask Sue, she'll actually work for a living this week and come and light the chalice for us. As we light the chalice flame within this little chalice today, the last time we're going to do so for this purpose, let our eyes, hearts and minds dwell on its significance. This flame represents all our purpose here this week. Our listening, laughing, talking, crying, the wisdom we have gathered, our thankfulness that so many busy people find time to create this blessed summer school for us, and that so many want to share its precious gifts. So let your eyes linger on this light, let us take the precious spirit of this place the sweet memories and insight, let's take them too and let them bless the life within us long after we have returned home. Let's pray for a moment. (coughs) Let this space in which we meet be quiet. Let our minds be quiet. Let the quietness of the hills around us, the quietness of the waters beneath us, and the gentleness of the spirit within us bring quiet to us. And let us rest in its quietness. Let our restless anxieties be stilled. Let our ever-wandering thoughts be calmed. And into our prayers, let us bring all in this world that we are close to and all those that are far distant and all those we know and all those we don't know into our prayers let us bring a stillness and let that stillness reach out beyond this quiet space in which we meet to enfold all who are in need of the blessing of stillness And let our prayer be like a pebble dropped into a lake. And let us be so still that we can sense the ripples of this pool of quietness and healing pass through us and out to the furthest star, to the furthest soul in need. And may we also be blessed by the quietness, enfolded in the calm of stillness and healing. Let this be our prayer. Amen. Amen. I want to tell a story. Some of you probably heard this story before. It's not the first time I've told it. And I had every intention of telling another story. But at the last minute, last night, I realised that I still wanted to tell this story. I want you to imagine... that there is a place in the middle of rather lovely countryside with fields all around. Some of them have the old cow in. (laughs) Some of them have sheep. And in this quiet place, there is a village, and in the village there are lots of people who look much like us. And they work in the fields, and they work in the home, and they work sometimes outside it, but mostly round about. They don't go too far. And one day, while everyone was hard at work and the children were in the school and some people were in the fields and some people were at home, God came to the village. And she walked through. And somebody noticed eventually and they called all the others, come in from the fields, hey, knock on the doors, get everybody, God is in our village. And they all came out and they looked in wonder. And God was beautiful. Her skin was kind of pinky, olive, browny, blacky coloured.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and from some angles, she looked like a chap, too. <laughs> But most of all, she was serene. And the thing that everybody noticed most was the hat she was wearing. (laughs) What a creation. And they stood, all of them, in awe as she walked serenely through the village. And as they watched, she seemed to just disappear into the air. Well, after a time of silence, because as you can imagine, they were stunned. God had walked through their village. They started to talk about her. Did you see the hat? <gasps> the hat. Wasn't it a fantastic shade of red? So be- Red, said somebody else. It was not red, it was blue. Clearly it was blue. Are you Blind? And slowly, half the villagers were determined it was a red hat and half the villagers were determined it was a blue hat. And they argued and argued and they fell out big time. And half the villagers went to live over there and the other half went to live over there. And the ones that lived over there built a little meeting house to the god of the blue hat. (laughs) lived over here, built a meeting house to the God of the Red Hat. (laughs) And then they went uh, took down a few stone walls and they built a big wall right down the middle of the village. And for a long long time they didn't speak to each other. Families were divided. Friendships had been broken. And the wall huge wall stood between them. And one day, many moons later, one of the children, because you are always the most sensible, saw something shimmering on top of the wall and realised it was God come back again. And they went and told all the grown-ups... And all the grown-ups came running from both sides. They came back, and they watched God. And it was one of the children who had the courage to say, "Excuse me, God." And God looked down. Yes. What can I do for you? She said. God, you came here before. Um. I said God, let me think. Don't I? Oh, I remember. Yes, yes, yes. I did. I was wearing a hat my friend had made it for me she'd got into this zen doodling thing and, <laughs> and she had doodled all over this wonderful material and then we made it into a hat and I wore it with pride till it fell apart it was wonderful ah, oh, said the child, I was going to ask what colour it was because we've been fighting over this that's why we're not living together anymore Oh, God said, let me think I remember it was blue on one side and red on the other. (laughs) Fabulous hat. And she walked serenely along the top of the wall and slowly disappeared. And again, there was stunned silence. Then a couple of the children, one on either side, started to giggle. (laughs) Stupid grown-ups. All this time... And they giggled and giggled. And you know what it's like when somebody's giggling and they go go on giggling. It's infectious, isn't it? You all start. And then everybody started to laugh. And the whole village on both sides began to laugh. And that's when the very strange thing happened. The vibrations of their laughter began to crumble the mortar between all the stones. And the walls started to fall down. It didn't hurt anybody. Because they noticed and they got out of the way. (laughs) And the wall fell down. And they built another chapel so that they could all come together and meet. And they remembered what God had said just before she disappeared. She said, Oh, dearie me, I made your lives too short for arguing about what or who is right. Life is about learning to love each other and to love yourselves and laughing. And it was laughing that they heard when she disappeared. Which is probably why the children started to giggle. Because I expect if God came and laughed, we'd all laugh too. Let's sing a hymn. A nice, joyful, loving hymn. I hope you've got sight of hymn books. Michael and I put them on seats, everyone it was one between two, and then the children came in. I will say no more. <laughs> So hopefully you've all got sight of a hymn book somewhere. <coughs> yes, good. Because we're going to t- sing hymn one nine three. We laugh, we cry, we live, we die, we dance, we sing our song. And we're going to sing it at a reasonably good tempo, so that anyone who feels the need to just kind of sway along with it, do. Thank you, Sheila. everybody. Just in case you're wondering, that's what the hat looked like. <clears throat> when I was first asked to describe what I was going to say on Friday, I wrote something really posh. <laughs> Contemplation of the authentic self, I wrote, will ask the question, who am I? Seeking to look into the mystery of ourself. Jesus asks us to love our neighbour as ourself, not just to love our neighbour but to love ourself. If we can find our authentic self, perhaps we shall find something to work with and something worth loving. Considering the notion of self, this is the bit that I really like, <clears throat> as more spiritual than physical, by self exploration we may discover the fold in the fabric of ourselves through the universe, part of the divine. I have no idea where I was when I wrote that. <laughs> I'm not sure I can live up to me. <laughs> Simon John Barlow, a friend, colleague and now sadly for those who knew and mourned him uh, and enjoyed his company reunited with the great universe he once asked me on a beautiful summer's afternoon when I think Sheila's grandchildren were still in nappies if I had noticed how often it's probably Tasha had just done it children lift up their clothes and show their tummy buttons there you go their umbilical knot and if I did, did I realise why they did it? And I said, yes, I had noticed, but no, I didn't know why. <laughs> so he told me, and I shall tell you, it is because they still remember that they are connected by their umbilicus not only to their mother, but to the universe, to the source, to the beginning of all things, to the great and numinous spirit. And while they still remember, they try to tell us they know who they are as a counsellor who follows in the main the teaching of Carl Rogers I believe that when we are born we do have an instinctive sense of self and how to maintain that self our needs at that point are basic we need food shelter, warmth, love but we seek them they are essential to us to our very being if there is authenticity in our self it begins here as we grow up our needs grow more complex and varied and the conditions placed upon our receipt of these essential needs can be difficult and so we bend to change ourself. To suit others, during my lifetime, I have seen some seismic shifts in my understanding of the authenticity of what my self is. When I was young, the majority of women stayed at home. Their role was to keep house, to maintain the well-being of their husband and children. Their authenticity was founded on their ability to fulfill this role. Men were strong, brave, unemotional, big boys don 't cry it was an admonition I heard often enough, though I never said it to my son, thankfully. Now, our expectations of self are almost limited. So what is our authentic self? She says, grasping for a bit, she 's left behind. This week has so far been interesting. I hope it still is. <laughs> <laughs> Jane helped us to start focusing on our cosmic selves. Maria took me into very uncharted waters, the idea of robots, and asked us to consider the uniqueness of our authentic selves and the possibility of a time when machines might be programmed to have an equal selfhood. Michael questioned the idea that we are born with our authentic self, and I'm really glad I didn't go the day after you. (laughs) And Ralph spoke of the need for loving kindness in order for us to experience our authentic self. Uh, and I do hope my fellow speakers will forgive my pricey. It's quite hard to pracy for three or four hours' work into 77 words. <laughs> now it's my turn to talk about the authentic self. Another word for authentic is real. And anyone who's read The Velveteen Rabbit knows that there's only one way to become real, and that is to be loved into reality. How do we achieve our own reality? How can we be loved into being real, authentic, ourselves? Well, our authentic self, our expectations of self, are limitless. Our authentic self is surely not our station in life. Maybe if we actually knew what our self was, we could tell if it were authentic or not. Knowing what our self is gets tricky when we leave the stage of knowing we are part of a great universal whole, joined by our umbilicus to all that is. And though we might retain some vestige of that understanding, it does get vague as we get older and we need to conform to the needs of others to the laws of the land, to the needs of those with whom we live and work. I think adults have a great difficulty knowing what their authentic self is, their real self. They've trouble knowing who they really are. When we're asked, who are you? Let's consider again, and I know it's been covered, but let's work through it again. What do we offer as an answer? I'll ask me. Who am I? Well, I'm Celia. That's my name. I have a second name and a surname, but Celia is how I'm best known. I'm a mother, two children. I am, I'm a daughter. I was a sister, cousin, friend. And that covers a lot, but it's not all. Oh, well, I'm a minister and I'm a counsellor. I have certificates on the wall of my office that testify to these. But is this who I am? Is this really my authentic, real self? My character and personality are surely a large part of who I am, myself. I am, for instance, a talker. (laughs) Who laughed. (laughs) (laughs) A teller of stories. I am a lover of words. I frequently use far too many and I can be boring when I get on a private roll and for which I apologise if I've done it this week. (laughs) I like music and laughter, knitting, as you've noticed, and sewing, and eating, and, well, I was going to say an occasional, but actually I like frequent tipples. I'm also a lover of sweet things and soft fruits and crunchy apples and sunshine and summer rain and thunder and lightning, and that's just a few of the things that make me, me. I like walking and climbing, but my older self is hampered by various aches and pains which is making myself rather more reflective than I remember in the past. And myself is now, while not quite reclusive, quite happy to shut the front door and be by myself. I like to go to quiet places and just simply let the quietness deafen me to all else. I like to be by myself. What did I just say? I like to be by myself. Just me and myself on our own but if I am myself who is the I and who is the self are the two of us now as Shakespeare said there's the rub when I am not being chatty and charming and entertaining when I am not being charming and chatty and entertaining who am I what lies beneath the rolls beneath my likes and dislikes? Who am I when I am on my own? Who am I then? I'm gonna ask you the same question, and I know you've been asked to fill out bits of paper, and I haven't brought you pens, so But I have brought paper. Now could pass these around a little bit.
1: I'm <laughs> <coughs>
3: They will come round. There are I did sixty odd so they really should unless somebody's grabbed a whole bunch for note paper. It's always a possibility. That piece of paper are there some extras there? Thank you. So the question is, who are you? The question is, who are you? You can start with all the but who are you when you're on your own? Who are you when you are not interacting with somebody else? When you are not doing? Who are you when you are still? Five minutes. At the most. If you all look a bit restive, I'll bring it to a halt. I did this exercise a few years ago uh, in couples. I was going to do it in pairs here, but since there were so many of us, it seemed a little impractical, because you need quiet too. And I'd gone through every role, everything I did, everything I thought about, until I came to a big gap, and the person opposite said, Who are you? And out of my mouth from somewhere, I have no idea, it was not real thought, came, I am laughter and over the years I've considered that and actually there's a lot of truth in that Mm. Um, and it's sometimes a good exercise to do Mm. when you're not doing and you're not being you just am so you've sat and let the answers to the question I set you come up I hope and be recorded you don't have to share them with anyone you can discuss them at great length later if you wish you might question some of the answers recorded if you just let them come without too much thought and I do suggest that from time to time you just sit and do this exercise who am I? I am who am I? I am Don't lose them yourself in them, but it helps you to find the changes sometimes. I was talking to a colleague a few months ago at the General Assembly, and she commented that in the last 20 years, I have changed a lot. Have I? All the component parts are still there, creaking a bit, but basically in the same place, gravity notwithstanding. So what are these changes that others see? I know I have gained experience and a modicum of acceptance that no one's going to turn up one day and say, ha-ha, it's all a joke, and take away my sense of place and position in the world, strip away much of that which I consider myself to be. The change is, I expect, that I have gained a confidence in whatever my self is I've grown more comfortable a little less nervous or at least my brain's better at hiding it I'm a little bit less nervous in offering myself to the world I have learned at least in part to separate the grain of real self from the chaff of conditional self You know what conditional self is? You will be loved if. You will be accepted if. Be a good girl, be a good boy and I will love you. Conditions on our worth. What I am certain is that over the last 25 years I have deliberately searched for clues to who I am, why I am and where my purpose lies. If there is a purpose to my life. But has my self changed? Or is it that my self-awareness has changed? I don't believe our authentic, real, original self changes. For we are surely that self we are born with. And if I was born with this self, how can I change it? We do take on or remove all kinds of habits, mannerisms and defence strategies throughout our lives. For myself, I can see that I have scratches and dents from 63 years of living and that like an old car, vintage, if you will, (laughs) I bear the marks of time. Some of them honourably, some of them from things I wouldn't try again. (sighs) Oh, I'd love you to write down what those thoughts were. <laughs> Perhaps I wouldn't. I'm no longer the eager child who ran excitedly through the woods and paddled in the sea, who leapt like a mountain goat across... Yeah, can you believe it? I did. I, across rocky terrain and loved to abseil forwards down high cliffs. Well, maybe I could still abseil. Yes. Gone, too, is much of the ghostness of adolescence. I think I've given up flirting, well almost. <laughs> I still nest every once in a while, but I don't brood much anymore. I got educated. I have fancy bits of paper with fancy signatures and fancy seals that I've hung on the wall in my office. They're in a corner behind the standard lamp. because I keep them there for me, not for others. And I'm almost sure that I really believe that they are actually mine now. But I still don't feel academic. But has any of this truly changed my authentic self? The one I was born with? I don't think so. I feel the same. I have grown to acknowledge that feeling. Rather than hide it because it didn't fit. But it's the same feeling. We are conditioned to believe that looks, behaviour, academia, status, income are what make us who we are. But aren't these just the trappings of our kind of society? I read a quote recently which may sound cynical but still, in my experience, appears to have more than a grain of truth. John K. Galbraith, an American economist, just a year younger than I am, is quoted as saying, The modern conservative small c... Is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy, that is, the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness. It makes it very hard on anyone's authentic self to blossom in an atmosphere of judgment greed and self-aggrandisement which may feel like the prevailing trend jesus is recorded as saying love your neighbor as yourself maybe that's why we fight so much we're treating our neighbors as we treat ourselves with random abuse i wonder why What happened to the absolute security of our baby self that had an instinctive knowledge of what we needed as we were becoming part of the universe? Our self is a part of the whole, the whole wonder, the whole mystery of life. As adults, we have lost this absolute certainty. We've learned that trust is not honoured, so we are more cautious. We've learned that kindness is not a given and we are put off balance. We've learned that love is like a will-o'-the-wisp and often vanishes in the sunlight. Then when we talk about ourself, we talk about who we have learned to be, who we appear to be on the outside. I am this body and all that this body with its mind in tow does. I am tied or not to family of some kind. I am tied or not to a job or a vocation of some kind. I have aspirations and desperations of some kind. I may be energetic or lethargic, crippled or fit. I may be academic or an artisan or a bum. I may be happy or depressed or confused or angry. I may be a leader. I may be a follower a wallflower or a dancer, but I recognise myself in these things I am. And even if I don't like bits of myself and get angry with bits of myself or try to change with concentrated effort bits of myself, I might think I have a pretty good idea what myself is. I'm all the roles I play. I'm my physical makeup. I'm my age, my station in life, my position in the pecking order. And then sometimes that self finds a key that unlocks a small closet door that lets us enter into that place in ourselves that knows that it is the core, the core that is a religious spiritual being that sees the wonder and the beauty of the heart of the self, the part. We might call soul. I wonder if this is the self that we are, when we are by ourselves, when we are alone, but also with ourselves. I took religion very seriously when I was a child. I don't think I ever considered my soul, however... I loved RE lessons. I was the only Unitarian ever. And I was wont to ask questions. And then often have to find the answers as well. I generally came top in RE. I don't think my teachers quite knew what to do with a Unitarian. Especially the nuns at the Convent School. Oh, I bet they were glad to see the back of me when I left. Oh, my questions, my determination not to say the creed out loud because frankly I didn't believe. I got detention for that. <laughs> I was giddy with the delight in creating religious waves though. <laughs> oh I was just I've written <clears throat> I've written, I'm not sure. I'm proud of that in retrospect, but I cannot deny it, it was fun. Perhaps I am <laughs> proud of it. My that's how I responded really, isn't it? A friend recently called me wayward. (laughs) One of my favourite flowers is the tulip, which when dealing with a bunch to be put in a vase, I refuse to stab in the neck or bind with um, wires and force it to go the way I want. I just like to bung them in a vase and then over days watch them do this kind of thing. (laughs) They feel like me. That's what I like to do. Just see where things go. So I think I will add wayward to my list of self-attributes. But I digress. I was talking about spiritual stuff. As a child and well into adulthood, I had a nice, comfortable God. Compassionate, loving, kind of fatherly figure. I based it on my grandparents, my grandfathers, and my dad. I had Jesus, great man, prophet, life coach, teacher. Terrific talking point in our (laughs)
1: <laughs>
3: and the Holy Spirit which was something I considered rather nebulous and I hadn't actually worked a purpose for it yet so I didn't talk too much about that still I was comfortable with my faith I went to church, Sunday school and even to Great Hucklow and I had a great time when well, we weren't moving house church meant family church meant fun I loved the sales of work and the jumble sales we ran, and I felt part of a great community. But looking back, I don't think I was conscious of being spiritual, and I'm not really sure which bit of my authentic self was sitting on the pew and which was making the tea or selling the tat. I'm sorry, the recycled garments (laughs) and the bric-a-brac. One part of myself was certainly the one who was grounded around about the age of 12. I was a good starter. We used to go do you remember when you were a kid you'd go into church well for those of you who did, going to church with your parents and all the adults would sit down and they'd do this. <laughs> it, children, you copy, but you're thinking, what are they doing? <laughs> I think I probably asked and I was told saying a prayer. So I'd say a prayer myself. Dear God, the Biafrans are starving. I know that dates me, but never mind. The Biafrans are starving and the world's in a terrible place. And then about the age of 12, I found myself a grounding prayer. The first verse of Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. It was just after I realised that if God didn't know about the starving children in Biafra, then he wasn't much coppers and almighty. (laughs) And I still considered him to be an almighty in those days. I reasoned that he didn't need me sitting on a pew telling him his job. (laughs) Precocious child. Looking back, I wonder if that's where the first glimmers of recognition that I had an essential spiritual self began. With Biafran children and asking the dear Lord and Father to forgive my foolish ways. Reclothe me in my rightful mind and let my purer life give service and deeper reverence. Looking back, it was quite inwardly challenging for a 12-year-old, all of that, but it brought me comfort for many, many, it still does. Perhaps that prayer has been answered in full, for my life has a far greater purity now than in the first four or five decades, and it has brought me a great deal of peace. However, getting to that place of self-spiritual knowledge wasn't <laughs> easy. Life often has a huge but in it. <laughs> 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 <Movie's
1: all around. laughs>
3: Somewhere there can be a cataclysmic event that shakes us and shifts the tectonic plates of our being so hard that we come out knowing differently. It was 28 years ago that my personal catastrophe shook my life, my knowledge of self, my very soul to its very core. My 27-year-old brother, my baby brother, died in a car accident. And I lost not just him, but that very comfortable Father God. That Almighty. The other, the greater, the beyond, the ineffable and all that is. And I've written here, I'm much of myself. But probably I didn't lose myself, I just realised that I didn't know who the heck that was. In the wake of the tragedy, I lost so much of that which, prior to the accident, I would have been quite happy to know as myself. And I lost myself for a very long time. The journey from that point was up, down and way, way out. And now, after nearly 30 years, I'm just beginning to get a handle on what myself might actually be. Well, when I say I'm getting a handle, what I mean is I can see, if somewhat dimly, that there is a handle. And I have been like an enthusiastic but old blind dog rushing about trying to find it. (laughs) Aren't we all? Quite recently I discovered that if I actually sit still, let go... And wait. It is gently coming to me. I am beginning to get the first faint glimmer of what my authentic self really is. That is to say myself without ego, without barriers, without the walls, without the falseness, the roles and all that. I'm beginning to believe that I am in the process of discovering the fold in the fabric of myself through which I am beginning to engage with myself as part of the universe part of the divine not a doer not a bundle of roles and feelings not a job or a status but what's still there and everything else is put to one side as part of the creation of this morning's talk I took time for meditation and contemplation part of that was an attempt just to let go of everything but the moment and simply be (coughs) and I realised that what I had to do was not to abandon that which was my ego the stuff that lets me live in this world in relative ease and comfort but rather to acknowledge its worth give it a comforting cuddle and send it off to play quietly by itself. While what I am about to call tentatively my authentic self could stretch out a bit from its usual tight confines, stuffed behind my generally necessary ego. My contemplation continued to watch and to learn. It's a very simple meditation and I want to share it with you now. I received it from the teachings of Ramdas, and I've been giving it some practice so it's getting easier. But it's very easy to keep in your memory and try again as often as need be. And I hope at some point you will find it useful in your future. But for the moment I want you just to relax, put things down... Feet on the floor. Get your back straight. And for the next few minutes, relax together. Sit comfortably. Lie down if you want to. Find a space. To stay awake.
1: <laughs>
3: Not sure it's still awake. Let your legs relax. Relax. Let your feet feel the ground beneath you and know you are connected. Let your arms and hands relax. Take three deep breaths and focus on the air as it enters and leaves your body. Now, just breathe naturally. Focus on your breathing. And when your breathing feels comfortable, I want you to bring your attention to that place, just in the middle of your chest, just about above your heart. And I want you to breathe into and out of that space, to focus on breathing into and out of your heart. And when that's comfortable, on each in-breath, breathe in love, the love that is the universal love that is all around us, that is everywhere, and exhale the negative things you have in you at the moment, the negative things you've brought with you. The negative things you've left behind to come here. Breathe them out on each out breath as you fill yourself with agape, with the love that is unconditional. And when you have breathed out your negatives, breathe in love and breathe out love. Breathe in love and breathe out love. Breathe in the love. That is unconditional, the love of God, the universal love, the love of great spirit, great mysteries love, and send that unconditional love back into the universe. Let's continue breathing love in and out. Two or three minutes. Breathing in love, breathing out love. Let this way continue as you refocus on your being present in this room. Of being part of this group, this blessed community and your own blessed self. Buddha was asked, what have you gained from meditation? He replied, nothing. However, the Buddha said, let me tell you what I have lost. Anxiety, anger, depression, insecurity, fear of old age and death. I have been practising a particular meditation for a while now and I find when I start to get anxious or distressed about anything at all, I find if I close my eyes and even just for a couple of breaths remind myself that I am breathing in and breathing out the love of the universe, my stress levels come down and I can take a clearer look at what's going on in life. I cannot swear to it, but I think this vessel of love, unconditional and connected, is my authentic self. For when I am in the place where love is, unconditional and connected, I feel whole. I need my ego. I am human. But I am also the spirit of love. I was born as love and I will die As love. It was Pierre Terra de Chardin who reminded us that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. It's often something we forget. It's a hard truth to acknowledge our egos are dead set against the idea, but actually most of the stuff that we think about as self we can lose. And still retain our self intact. Because those are the things which come out of our ego our drive to define ourselves in a society that needs to know where we went to school and or university and what job we do and how substantial our bank balance is and where we holiday and how many times we holiday each year and what music we like and what books we read and have read and what newspapers we take and whether we are IT savvy or not. These are not bits of our authentic self. They are the layers of armour we have put on our original and authentic spiritual self in order to play our human part. We can lose our health, our job, our family, our fitness, our abilities and even our friends. We can get dementia, we can have serious accidents, we can get clinical depression or get cancer and still have, be our self. We can be denuded of just about everything we might think of as ourself and still remain ourself. For we are connected to, are part of, we are inside love, pure, unconditional love. We were born with nothing, yet we were in that moment of birth our self, our truly authentic and incredible self and we all wish the next little self would come along soon. <laughs> A self joined to the very fabric of the universe and solidly and needfully to the world. Some of us get to realise that we need, not just to feed our bodies, but our souls. That's why we're here, isn't it? That we need to rediscover that precious, fragile, yet seeming, seeming yet indestructible self. And seek to reconnect ourselves to the universe that is so much love, unconditional, life affirming, and upliftingly enlightening. So much of our life we spend hanging on to the merry go round of life we know and think is essential. So much is about achievement, getting a better job, building bigger muscles, changing our body shape, using the right makeup, wearing the right clothes, choosing the right car, house, furniture. Forming to a world that we are out of step with. We can get off the merry-go-round, open the door to our soul and let go, bathe in the flow of love and light that fills our authentic self, if we choose to, if we have the courage to start. We don't have to stop being human, that's what we're here for. But we do not have to stop being spiritual either. Remember, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Let us not be afraid to connect with the spark of divine within us, the spark that is love, and let the love flow through us and from us. For by self-exploration we may discover that fold in the fabric of our being where our authentic self has been waiting all along, to be welcomed into the light of our understanding and we shall know our self as part of the divine. We shall know that we are real. So let us not be afraid to show our belly buttons metaphorically (laughs) or physically to the world. Let's wake everybody up and smile an intriguing smile that says, I know who I am. I am an enigma wrapped in love I am love just waiting to be explored and so are you so show me your belly buttons and let's get exploring thank you